just want to say welcome to you again this morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Matthew, and I am stunned to be the new lead pastor of Grace Church in Salida, Colorado. And uh, so grateful that you are here in person this morning. So grateful for those of you who are joining us via the live stream. I want to remind you as we come together that everybody needs someone to disciple them. Everybody, including pastors, maybe most of all pastors. (laughs) We all need, and many of us have, a mix of those who are around us discipling us and some who disciple us from afar. Ray Orland has been the latter for me in recent years. He has taught me so much through his writing and speaking and preaching and personal conversations. Ray has become a friend, and he has taught me so much about what it looks like to translate the doctrines of the good news into a culture of the good news. Because there's a difference there, right? So often in the church, the culture speaks differently than the doctrine. And what we want to see happen is the doctrine worked out in the culture, the life of the people of the church. Now, I'm telling you a little bit about Ray and what he's taught me because his fingerprints are actually going to be all over this sermon series and his voice will echo a bit throughout it because of how he has discipled me in translating gospel doctrines into gospel culture. It was Ray who taught me the following equation. The gospel plus safety plus time equals a church where anyone can grow. So now you know why the name of this new sermon series is the name that it is. The gospel plus safety plus time. Say it with me. The gospel plus safety plus plus time, is a church where anyone can grow. Family, this is what we all need. A lot of gospel, a lot of safety, and a lot of time. This morning, we're going to begin with the gospel. This is the next three weeks, this equation. We're going to teach you this equation And this morning, it begins with the gospel because, I mean, honestly, where else could we begin but with the good news of Jesus Christ? Because the gospel is good news for bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the endless power of the Holy Spirit. Good news for who? Bad people. We all need frequent exposures and constant immersion and wave upon wave upon wave of grace. Because we are prone to forget. Isn't that that what the song says? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy throne. Above, we are constantly in danger of moving away from the good news. So we need constant exposures to it. We do not get beyond the good news, family. It's not like we get it, we get saved, we're in the kingdom, and then now what's next? All of life is living out 
the good news. So it's where we're going to begin. It's where we're going to stay as we begin this little adventure together as me being one of your pastors and you being my people. We're going to hear once again how humanity is brought from death to life in the story of God's transforming grace, Ephesians 2. And you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. Okay, students, look at me now. This is why grammar is important. Because conjunctions are life-changing. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. It will take an eternity for you to taste the immeasurable riches of the grace of Christ. Forever. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Family, this is the word of God. Father, we come before you now this morning and you know, there's a sense in which if, as I hear that text wash over me again, we could just end right now and just sing 10 more songs in worship. But there's a bit more to say. And so would you, by the power of your spirit now, Father, would you take the words that I believe that you have given me, these words, as we unpack these words in only the way that you can, only by the power of your spirit, would you uniquely apply them to the need that is in each heart. Just like George said, we don't know what people are coming, everything that people are coming. We know some of the, the issues and the challenges 
but only you know intimately our hearts, and so do that work. We trust you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. What an astonished and awe and worship-filled Apostle Paul is doing in this portion of a letter to his very dear and close friends in Ephesus is revealing and reminding them and us how humans are moved from death to life. He is telling us the story of God's transforming grace. And I think this story answers at least five questions about grace. Five questions. Here's where we're going. What is it? Why do we need it? Where does it come from? How do we get it? And what do we do with it? Did you get that? What is it? Why do we need it? Where does it come from? How do we get it? And what do we do with it? So here we go. What is grace? Seems like an important question for a group of people that calls itself Grace Church. One theologian reflecting on this passage writes this, grace is the key ingredient of the Christian gospel for everything else flows from and builds on a theology of grace. Grace means the completely undeserved loving commitment of God to us for some reason unknown to us, which is rooted in his nature. God gives himself to us, attaches himself to us, and acts to rescue us. Though wrath should have come, saving grace comes instead. So here's the sentence I want you to take. What is grace? Grace means the completely undeserved loving commitment of God to us. The completely undeserved loving commitment of God to us. You see, what you heard Pastor George read at the beginning of this service reveals that God's very name and nature have this bound up inside of who he is, right? A God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Grace means the initiative lies always and only with God. God just gives himself to us freely. And as we will shortly see, that Grace that is coming from God finds its ultimate expression in connecting us to Christ. So, what is it? It is the completely undeserved loving commitment of God to us. Now, why do we need it? One of the uh, all-time movie greats is the movie The Princess Bride. Anybody seen The Princess Bride? Hallelujah, praise Jesus, you're Christians. There's a scene in The Princess Bride where the hero, Wesley, right, who is seemingly being killed by the evil Prince Humperdinck. Humperdinck, Humperdinck, Humperdinck. Right? He's been brought to Miracle Max by who? 
My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. So Inigo brings the seemingly dead Wesley to Miracle Max. And Miracle Max wants to know why he must bring Wesley back to life. And so he says, what? I'll ask him. To which Inigo Montoya says, well, you can't ask him. He's dead. And what does Miracle Max say? You who know so much. You see, you think that he is dead, but he is only mostly dead. And there's a big difference between all dead and mostly dead. The kind of situation that the Apostle Paul is describing to us in this text right here of all of humanity is decidedly not the situation that Wesley was in as mostly dead. You see, the problem that all of humanity is facing is that apart from Christ, we are all dead all the way dead. And do you know the challenge of this text? The challenge that, can you guess the large challenge that this text confronts us with? See, I believe it's this, that we don't take it seriously. You see, most of us do not believe this picture that the Apostle Paul is giving to us. Most of us don't think it is actually as bad as Paul says it is. I mean, we look around us and we think, can it really be that bad? I mean, come on, look at some of the people that I know. I mean, they may not go to church on Sundays, but they do some really good things the other six days of the week. They stock food shelves and care for their neighbors and treat their dogs well on walks. They pick up litter on the trails. They give to relief efforts for Ukraine. They serve the homeless in our town. They partake in 10,000 acts of kindness week by week by week in our valley. It cannot be as bad as all of this. And that's true. All those things are true and more. But to see that way is to only see physically. And what Paul wants us to do is he wants us to see spiritually. He wants to take glasses, spiritual glasses, put them on our eyes so that we can see things the way that God sees them. Because then and only then will we be able to see all around us dead men walking. C.S. Lewis said it this way, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you saw it the way that Paul is talking about the way God sees, you would either be strongly tempted to worship or else you would see a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. Paul wants, listen, don't miss this. Paul wants us to leave this place this morning and to walk out into our town almost as if we're walking into the set of an apocalyptic movie surrounded by zombies. That you would see people this way 
as dead in their trespasses and sins, as living lives bound in the chains of horrible wickedness, as following the course of this world system, as following the prince of the power of the air, a spirit that is now at work in sons and daughters of disobedience. He wants you to see them that way and remember that before Jesus, you were once them. That the problem wasn't only Satan, but the problem was you. That you lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and mind, making you a child of wrath. Are you seeing how bad this is? Are you? Because along with the 10,000 acts of kindness that happen in this valley are acts of selfishness and verbal abuse and marital conflict and the viewing of pornography and the abuse of alcohol and drugs and stealing and laziness and coveting and jealousy and envy and hatred and anger on and on and on. Sit with a sheriff or a police officer in our valley and just ask about the underbelly of this place. And while this text speaks of the pervasiveness of that kind of sin and wickedness and that kind of fallenness, it does not do so that we would walk from this place increased in our own self-righteousness, in our condemnation of who they are and they're not like us. That we somehow go out and judge them. That's not why this text is here. This text is here. Family, this text is here to break our heart. we go out and we would see people who need Jesus so badly that they are lost that they are headed for an eternity separated from God and that the only attachment that they have to God is that they will be forever experiencing his holy and eternal wrath poured out on them in the absence of his love This revelation from Paul by the Holy Spirit is not meant to fuel our criticism of our fellow citizens, but to fuel our compassion of our fellow citizens. Why do we need grace? Because <laughs> guess what? Sometimes we look an awful lot like them, don't we? We look like we've lost the life a little bit. Why do we need grace? Because we're lost forever without it. It's that bad. Why does Salida need grace? Because the people of this city will enter an eternity of darkness and wrath without it. The picture is that bleak. Shouldn't this lead us to revival? Wouldn't it be great? You know what my dream is for myself and for us? That this afternoon, you would start praying for a bigger, more broken heart for our city. That you would start praying that. Because you know what? He put us here to be a light. (laughs) 
to be a pipeline of grace that would wash over this dry town. (laughs) I'm learning how it's dry here. (laughs) Never put lotion on my body this often in my life, ever. (laughs) We're meant to be fountains of living water. You know what the main point of this text is? It's that God will not stay out of the picture. (laughs) Where does grace come from? The picture was bleak, but God being rich in mercy. The picture is devastating, but God because of the great love with which he loved us. The picture literally could not be more horror-filled, but God even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Do you see? Do not miss the central issue of this text. We could not save ourselves. We cannot love ourselves out of our problems and sins. We cannot accept ourselves out of our wicked self-centeredness. We cannot forgive ourselves into goodness. I don't know if you know this, but dead people cannot do anything for themselves. They're dead. Grace must come from outside of us. Salvation must be granted. And friend, There was nothing lovely in you (laughs) or me. Nothing beautiful, nothing that we could do to deserve this. We were the orphan acting, aging out of the system because no one would adopt us. We were the ones standing there by ourselves when everyone else had been chosen for a team because no one valued us. We were the ones sitting alone at the cafeteria table because no one had invited us. We were the one excluded from the party because no one thought to include us. And God, moved with compassion, mercy, and love, did what? Okay, I, I need you to look at your Bibles right right now because this is this should stun you if you understand how much you needed grace and it stunned the apostle paul himself he actually there's a little parenthetical here where he stopped as he was describing what god was doing and where grace was coming from and he has to say it's by grace that you've been saved interrupts himself there's nothing you could do you couldn't earn this you couldn't prove that you deserved it it's just grace Remember how I said that the first problem was believing that it's as bad as it could be? There's a second problem that arises right here, namely that it's as good as this. We have trouble believing. Can it really be this good? Is it really that free? Maybe I'm the only one that has trouble like that. I mean, you may find yourself asking the question like, Is grace like this really possible? Does God really love me this much? I mean, can he love me this deeply when I've sinned this greatly? See, maybe maybe you are, maybe you're arguing with me or Paul or God right now. Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking of the obstacles and the reasons why it can't be true. They're coming up in your mind, and the evil one wants to bring those things up in your mind as well. He wants to point out all the reasons why you don't deserve this grace. He's reminding you of the things that you did, the stuff that you said, what you looked at, whatever it is. But grace is why we call it the good news. 
a little picadillo about me. I don't, I don't use the word gospel very much because I feel like there's a lot of people who don't really understand that word, especially people who aren't churchy people. But if you say good news, which is what the word actually just means, it's good news, people know what good news is. Like, I mean, they, they at least know what's coming. If you're, if you're saying, if, you, if you're purporting that I have good news for you, they kind of have an idea of what that looks like, right? And grace is why we call it good news. It's good because God knows how bad things have been and how bad they are, but he changes them. <laughs> that's good. So that's great. And it's news, right? Because it's not advice. It's a report of what has been done. Isn't that what news is? It's not something you have to do. It's what's been done. Because you couldn't do it on your own. So how do we get it? How do we get the completely undeserved loving commitment of God to us? Well, honestly, the answer to that question found here in Ephesians and elsewhere still contains a great deal of mystery for me, honestly. Because what Paul describes here that is true of everyone who God saves is something that happened thousands of years ago before any of us was even born and sinned. What God did for us, he did as he did it for his son, Jesus. Okay, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that we, we get grace by being united with Christ. Look, look at it. But God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Whoa. <laughs> like, I mean, do you fully understand that? I don't fully understand that. Our union with Jesus that Paul is describing here, it's, it's amazing that when Jesus was raised, you were raised. When Jesus died, you died. When he became alive, that's when you became alive. It, it happened with him at that time thousands of years ago before you were even born. And this theological truth, this idea of union with Jesus is not just a fact of Christianity. This is actually the whole of Christianity. I think it's, it's like the center of the universe of everything that, that Christianity is. If, if you get out of whack and misunderstand that you are united with Jesus, everything else, right? Because I think everything else in Christianity flows from this central fact that you are united with Jesus. Everything else that is promised to us comes to us in that theological reality. And if that gets off kilter, like all of the other stuff just starts to spin out of control. But if that's there and at the center, if you seek to understand that and hold fast to that, it like holds everything else strongly together. I am in Jesus. You see, the death, resurrection, and ascension, what Paul is saying here, are not merely things that benefit us. They are things in which we were included. In those events that happened to Jesus, we were moved from being under death, verse 1, 
to life. From following the world, verse 2, to following God. From following the ruler of this world, verse 2, to following our king. From being members of a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. From being a son of disobedience to being adopted as a child of God. So that we can say, like Paul, we have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And while I'm not fully sure of how that union takes place, I think there's just, there's mystery in Christianity. Let's just admit that. What I am sure of is that it's the power of the Holy Spirit working that out in me. I just, every Sunday when I walk up, to come up to the pulpit. You know one of the things I say? I believe in the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Because he's doing that work and he will do that work for everyone who confesses Jesus will be made alive, raised up, seated with him. And this is so important, friends. This is so critical for us as a church, as Grace Church, to see Because Christianity, one theologian says it this way, Christianity is not primarily a religion of ideas, but a religion of participation, of involvement, and of fellowship with God in Christ. It's not just about doctrines. It's about a person whose name is Jesus. That's where our hope is is found. Fellowship with God through Christ. Vague spirituality holds no hope. New Ageism holds no hope. Buddhism holds no hope. Hinduism, secularism, atheism, materialism, endless recreation holds no hope. Rather, listen to this. Here's an old dead guy. The obedience and the death of the Lord Jesus laid the foundation and opened the way for the exercise of this great and sovereign act of grace. The cross of Jesus displays the most awesome exhibition of God's hatred of sin and at the same time, the most august manifestation of his readiness to pardon it. Pardon, full and free, is written out in every drop of blood that is seen, is proclaimed in every groan that is heard. O blessed door of return, open and never shut to the wanderer from God. How glorious, how free, how accessible. Here, the sinful, the vile, the guilty, the unworthy, the poor, the penniless may come. Here too, the weary spirit spirit may bring its burden, the broken spirit its sorrow, the guilty spirit its sin, the backsliding spirit its wandering. All are welcome here. The death of Jesus was the opening and the emptying of the full heart of God. It was the outgo, outgushing of that ocean of infinite mercy that heaved and panted and longed for an outlet, and that outlet is you. It was God showing how he could love a poor, guilty sinner. What more could he have done than this? What more? 
Dear friends, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Friends, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Now, final thing, we're almost done. What do we do with it? What do we do with this grace that's been given to us? What does a church family immersed in wave upon wave of this kind of free grace look like? Ironically, even though you have to do nothing for it, what it does in you is make you a people that produces fruit in keeping with that kind of grace. Because once you understand that all of this good comes to you free and that there isn't anything that you have to do for it, you become joyful and giddy over being God who God has made you to be in Christ, who he's made you to be. You are no longer bound by expectations. If you are, let me free you right now. Let's break some chains this morning, family. You are no longer bound by expectations. You are no longer chained by the notion of having to prove yourself to God or anybody else. You no longer need to think that you have to do something for God to get something from God. You are free to embrace that you are his workmanship. That's what verse 10 says. Look at it. You are his workmanship. You know what that word literally is? Poem. He is writing and telling your story. Here's what is so freeing about this text. It's so absolutely remarkable because we can get all worried about like what we have to do for God and what are my plans and how am I going to live a life that's worthy of him and how am I going to bring him glory? And what Paul does is he levels all of that kind of thinking. He says, the grace of God is operating in your life. I've given that to you. I've made you and put you inside of Jesus. Everything that's his is yours. And get this, I've actually already written the story. Every good work that you are going to do, before it all even began, I wrote it all out so that you could walk in it. So what are you worried about? (laughs) He knows what tomorrow brings. He's written it for you. He's made you and put you in Jesus. He's given you the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. So just walk in it. Can you imagine what a group of people believing that and living like that would look like? Can you imagine the air of grace that would operate, the atmosphere that would be in this room? That would be the kind of atmosphere that would just absolutely suffocate cynicism. It would suffocate condemnation. It would suffocate self-justification and self-righteousness. We would just come in here and... We just love each other. And we'd go out there and we'd live that. And anybody who came in here would breathe that in. My friend Ray says it this way. In a church like that, 
the topic of conversation changes from what is wrong with us, which is plenty, (laughs) to what's right with Christ, which is endless. He replaces our negativity, finger-pointing, and self-hatred with the good news of his grace for the undeserving. Who couldn't come alive in a community that's constantly inhaling that heavenly atmosphere? Tell me. Who? Worship team, would you come up? I forgot to ask you to come up. So as you're coming up, I'll pray. Father, do abundantly more than we could ask or think according to the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within us this morning, would you? We want to grab hold of being a church that just grows in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, so immerse us in wave upon wave of grace. Good news, safety, time. Continue to pour that out over us in the weeks, months, decades ahead, should Jesus tarry. In his name we pray.